We've been talking about living the extraordinarily blessed life. I'm going to skip right over Psalms 1 and Psalms 92 because my time's already going away. And that's the text planted by the rivers of water and flourishing in the courts of our God. We are dealing this year with planted, fruitful, and flourishing. And I've been contending that God wants his people to live extraordinarily blessed lives rather than for us to struggle from blessing to blessing. But unfortunately, the average experience of most believers is that they do not live lives that are extraordinarily blessed. We generally, as believers, I feel, live beneath the privilege available to us. We don't live that. Instead, this is the graph for most of us. Boom, blessing. Whoa, back down here. Whoa, blessed again. Boom, all the way back down here. You remember the text when John the Baptist came, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and he said, prepare the way of the Lord. And he talked about fill up the valleys and tear down the mountains. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Meaning, make, and, and going on to say, make straight paths. In other words, level out the distance between the highs and the lows. It was always God's intention that his people not go from peak to valley, back to a peak, back to a valley, but that we live a consistently blessed life. That has not been the experience of most folk. We're still trying to come up to the level of our privilege. It kind of reminds me of Boudreaux, Y'all forgive me for telling a Cajun joke because like the fellow said, I are one. Boudreaux had just got paid and was trying to impress a pretty little waitress down at the cafe. He had been trying for some time and having just gotten his paycheck, he was feeling flush like he had a lot of money. So he walked in and ordered his food and when she brought him the bill, he said, Cher, what is the average tip that you get when you wait on the table in this here restaurant? And the waitress thought about it for a moment. Her name was Marie and she said, well, Boud, I guess the average tip I get is about $5. And with a smile, Boudreau took out the money for the bill, laid it down and took out $5 and set it off by the side to impress her. And she picked it up, kind of shocked looking and looked at it and he said, Shah, he said, didn't you just tell me that the average tip you get in this restaurant's about $5? She said, yes. He said, and why are you looking at that $5 like that? What's the problem? And she, Marie answered and said, yeah, Boudreaux, but you've done be the first person to ever come up to the average in this place. Amen. <laughs> I think the world is waiting to see us come up to the average. And so I want to talk today again about the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is what releases within us because it is the character of God. It releases within us the power of God where you don't have to go for a, from a blessing to a blessing, but you can walk in that constant state of being perpetually, extraordinarily blessed. Amen. I've already spoken about four of the nine gifts of the Spirit. They are love, joy, peace, and then last week I spoke of patience. I want to talk today about the fifth fruit of the Spirit. It's kindness. My subject today is flourishing as I show the kindness of God. Flourishing as I show the kindness of God. 
I will tell you in advance that I will make some comments today that are on the edge. I am not political. I have very strong feelings about all that's going on in politics and the world. I see a lot more than many people do because I've been in 102 different nations and most Americans don't really know what's going on and what other people are thinking overseas. If we do go overseas, we usually visit the tourist zone, which is not a place to get a true reflection of what's happening. I engage daily with Muslims. I engage daily with people of of other countries and nations. And I hear stuff that a lot of folk don't hear. I've been through a lot of stuff a lot of folk here don't know about. I've been in situations I don't even want to tell you about. But I want to talk to you about the kindness of God. But I want to speak, and I feel compelled because I am a pastor. I'm going to shift right now into a little bit of a prophetic mold, which means I'm going to have to speak about some things that I see. And I always want to do it with kindness. And I hope that I've done that through the years. I pray that has been the way that I've handled things. I do have opinions. And not only opinions, I believe the word of God is the word of God. And in that case, my opinion don't matter. It's what God said. Amen. But having said that, I still want to preach the word with kindness. I've watched people use the word as a hammer to try to beat people up. I flat. Do not allow that here. I don't care who it is. If I had a guest speaker that did that, I'd stand up and stop him. I'm not going to allow people to be beat up by the word of God. I won't do it myself. I'm sure I'm not going to let somebody else come in and do it. And so I realize that when I shift into this prophetic mode, however, that some people might, because some areas of life are sensitive, they might begin to question where I'm coming from. And all I want to say is like that old song, if you don't know me by now, you will never, never, never know me. Amen. Father, let your spirit speak to us today. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost come into this place and talk to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is the New King James Version. I suppose that to be authentic in terms of my interpretation of this, I need to address it from a from not only a homiletical perspective, but an exegetical perspective. And that is, what is this really saying? And to do so, I've got to ask the first question. Just for those of you that are interested, there are always six questions that have to be answered, right? We learned that in school. To communicate anything effectively, who, what, why, when, where, that's the five W's, and the one H, how. You remember that anytime you want to communicate something, I try to when I preach, so that I can help answer the questions because I find that speaking often creates as many questions as it provides answers for and sometimes creates more. So I'll begin by asking this question, what is kindness? Many of us may think we know what it is, but we could be surprised at what the Bible has to say about it. We may know what it is, but nonetheless, there could be some surprises in the Word of God. 
The dictionary defines kindness as the quality of being warm-hearted, considerate, humane, and sympathetic. Remember, this is one of the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about the character of God. In the Greek, however, the word in Galatians 5 and 22 takes on a different nuance in addition to the dictionary meaning or definition. It not only means to be warm-hearted, considerate, humane, and sympathetic, it means in a way that is useful morally and in a way that demonstrates excellence in character or demeanor. It is gentleness, it is goodness, it is kindness. You can look it up in Strong's Concordance. The root word here is even more insightful in that it means employed or by implication useful in manner or morals or excellence and that it is not passive. It's better, it's easy, it's gracious, it's kind, but it's active rather than a passive kindness. Do you understand what I mean when I I talk about the difference in something that's active and passive? For example, someone that has an active cold is going to go do certain things, face certain challenges that someone that's in the passive stage of that cold is not going to experience. I'll give you another example uh, from the health world. If you have leukemia and it's active, that's a whole lot different than being in remission where it is inactive. And I hate to use terms from the medical world uh, that are 180 degrees the opposite in terms of meaning of kindness because while those things I've mentioned are bad, kindness is very good. Most of us, the reason I mention this is that most of us think that kindness is just our attitude. When not so, according to the biblical definition, it requires that you not be passive. It requires an active demonstration of that kindness. You have to literally do something. And the first thing that has to be remembered to keep this within context is that we need to realize that kindness is the very character and nature of God. Can somebody in the building say amen? God is infinitely kind. It is one of the things that our God is known and loved for. Now, I find God to be kind. Is there anybody else in this building that you feel like God's been kind to you? I ask you for a reason. Would you let somebody know by raising your hand, is God kind? You see, because when you raise your hand, that is not the message often communicated by enemies of God today or even by religion. I was raised in religion, and I can tell you it didn't didn't tell me much about the kindness of God. God's going to get you. Amen. Anybody raised that way? Y'all heard about the fella that broke into the house, and while he was walking through the house, creeping through late at night, he heard a voice say, Clarence is going to get you, and he froze. He thought he'd been busted, and nothing else was said, and so he started moving again, and the voice said, Clarence is going to get you, amen, and, and uh, he walked a little bit further, and the voice said, Clarence and Jesus are going to get you, Amen. And he walked a little bit further, and the voice said it again, Clarence and Jesus are going to get you. And he finally spotted where the voice was coming from, and it was a parrot over in the corner. And he said, who are you? He said, I'm Clarence. He thought, well, that's not much to worry about. He said, who is the fool that would name their parrot Clarence? Same one that named his Rottweiler Jesus. Amen. 
Don't worry about Clarence, but Jesus is a different story. And that was pretty much the way I was raised. Watch out for Jesus. Amen. Religion and today even the enemies of God will tell you God is not kind. But that is not my experience. The Bible reflects the way I feel. Psalm 63 and 6. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. I don't praise him because I'm ordered to praise him. I praise him because God has been so kind to me. Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. What? All his benefits. That's not passive kindness. That's active kindness. And what kind of kindness are we talking about when we speak of active kindness? Be more specific, Pastor. Okay, I will. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from destruction, and who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Is there anybody in this building that God has forgiven your iniquities and he acted first? Amen. He first loved us. Anybody here, God healed you when you were sick or healed your finances or healed your marriage when it was in divorce? And amen, amen, who redeems your life from destruction. I just want to know, I just want to know. Anybody in this building, you realize you wouldn't even be here if it hadn't been for God who reached out. You might not even still be on the top side of this planet. He crowned you with loving kindness and he satisfied your mouth with good things. Anybody here can lift their hands and say, after a life of wandering in sin and emptiness, I can say I'm satisfied now. I'm satisfied, amen. These passages point out God's active kindness toward us. Psalms 36, seven and nine. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasure. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Amen. When I came to God, ladies and gentlemen, I started drinking from a river that will never run dry. And I began to drink from a river that satisfied me like nothing else can. I know what Jesus meant when he told the woman at the well, you drink from this, you'll never thirst again because this is satisfying. That other stuff, you're going to be thirsty a couple of hours later. Oh, I'm talking to somebody. So the first thing we need to understand is not only is the biblical kindness that is described as the fruit of the Spirit or part of the character of God that he's wanting to form in us, not only is it active, but it's the very nature of God. And then we also need to understand the second thing that we understand about kindness is that kindness acts first. It doesn't wait to be reciprocal. It acts before the other person does. Am I talking to somebody right now? Because we live in a broken world and there are not many people who haven't been hurt. 
That's the condition of living in a fallen world. You're going to get stepped on. And you know what happens when you get stepped on? You stop reaching out to people because you get tired of being wounded. And sometimes you'll wait to smile until the other person does. Or say hello until someone else. You know what I'm talking about? A friend of mine, Scotty Teets, moved to New York City to start pastoring years ago. And I went to preach for him in the Bronx. And Scotty, he told me, he said, this was, it it took some getting used to. He said, whenever I first moved here, Scotty's an outgoing guy. He said, I'd walk down the street and I'd I'd say to people, hi. And they'd look at me and say, what's your problem, man? (laughs) Amen. And people just throw up walls. Have you reached a point in your life, I want to ask you, I hope you haven't, that you wait for somebody else to open the door before you dare stick your neck out. You wait for them to smile or to say hello because you've been knocked down so many times. What I need you to realize is the biblical kindness doesn't wait. It's not looking to be reciprocated. It acts first. And how do I know that? Because when I look at God. I see that God acted first. He didn't wait on us. If he had waited on us, some of us would still be lost right now. But he came looking for us. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. I'm sorry. I got to just lift my hands and say, thank you that you didn't wait. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Romans 2 and 4 describes this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's what the Bible said. What led you to repentance? It was God's goodness. Amen. God acts in goodness and kindness toward us, even though we are unsaved. Amen. And that that, that living and we're living lives that oppose him. He's kind anyway. In fact, that kindness is often what causes us to be drawn to him. Amen. The word here where it says the goodness of God leads you to repentance, would it surprise you to know that it's the very same Greek word in Galatians 5 where it talks about kindness? In other words, that word translated goodness is the same word that is translated kindness. It is God's active goodness and kindness that led you to repentance. I love it in the, in the, the living Bible translation. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you, Paul asked? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? I hear people like Richard Dawkins, and I said, I'm going to make some statements today. Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. But if you go ask your young people and your young adults, they're going to tell you some things and back up and corroborate what I'm going to say. We are under assault for our faith in this nation right now. And the so-called intellectuals of the day sneer at anybody who dares believe in God. And the guru of intellectuals these days is Professor Richard Dawkins from Oxford University. And, And people like him make fun of our God. First of all, they say he isn't real. But if you look at him and you believe he's real, that that he is the most unkind, mean, vicious individual that has ever existed. That's what they 
say about my God and about your God. And I want to say, time out. You don't know who you're talking about right now. That's not been my experience. My God in his kindness has always shown nothing but goodness to me. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen right now. Amen. Listen to Richard Dawkins and this in just a moment. And this, this is what they're teaching in universities. When your kids go to university, this is what they're going to face. And when in many of the high school classrooms, they already face this. And in some of the elementary classrooms right now, this is what's going on. And you wonder why you struggle with your children. Listen to, to the voices that are influencing the teachers of our world. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. <laughs> You hear everybody cheering and laughing? Those are educators. That's what's being taught the people that are educating our children. That's not the God that I serve. I want to I say, Mr. Dawkins, hold on just a minute. Have you met the one that I know because you just talked about somebody else? That's not my God. My God is kind. Amen. And they use all of these illogical arguments these arguments that are, that are fallacious in their logic, and they always use the, the same several tired, trite, worn out arguments that are easily disproven to make claims like this. And so the first is, is that a loving God would not have created a world where there could be evil. Uh, or rather, the first is our God is a God of anger and judgment. That is directly contradicted by the verse that I just read. It's God is a God of loving kindness, and it's the goodness of God that leads you to repent. Would you say amen? And the second is a loving God would not have created a world where there could be evil. And they look at cancer and war and famine and they say, ah, if there is a supreme being, doesn't this disprove that he's kind? No, it doesn't. Why do you say that? I'll tell you why. Because those that always say this inevitably turn around and want to have their right to choose to do whatever they want to do in life. If they want to be immoral, they don't want you to tell them not to. They want abortion. They want drugs or whatever. They want, they got, the, that's, I'm a free individual. I, I, got, I have the right to choose. Yes. Don't you realize the reason you have the right to choose is because God created a world where you could have choice. And the only way you can have choice is have the right to choose what's wrong as well as what's right. The right to, to choose to be evil as well as good. So while you're saying out of one side of your mouth that you want the right to make up your own mind, don't you realize you can't out of the other side of your mouth accuse God? Of the evil that's in our world. God created mankind with choice. You see, here's where they make the mistake. I don't want to be uh, a robotic automation. I, I want to be able to serve him because I chose to serve him. 
And God didn't want people that were programmed like a computer programmed a robot to walk in church and say, hello, love you, Jesus. Amen. Sit down. Let's sing the song. Hello. Love you again, God. God didn't want that kind of thing. He wanted you to look at the life of the rest of the world is living and the world in which you live and then look at him and the life he has to offer and say, I choose him hands down. I'd rather serve Jesus than to be lost. And Amen. But not everybody makes that choice. And some make the wrong decision and hurt others. Look at what's going on in our world right now. Look at what happened in Florida last weekend. 49 people killed. God gave us the right of choice. And to give us the right of choice means we could abuse it and make the wrong decisions. The third argument that some people make, and oh, before I leave that one, you say, what about weather catastrophes and earthquakes. Yes, you didn't make the choice, but go all the way back to the garden and we had an ancestor who did and set in motion the conflict in the very world in which we live and we're still paying the price for it. Can somebody say amen? Amen, amen. The third argument that some people make is when they point to their own experience of having been hurt in church and they say that this is proof that God isn't kind but rather that God is mean. And they point to some of the failures of religious leaders who have done wrong. God knows there have been those who have and to the judgmental attitudes of mean-spirited Christians. I wonder, have you met any mean-spirited Christians in your life? Hello. Uh, Let me shield the light from my eyes. I want to see, have you met any mean-spirited Christians? If you have not, please meet with me right after service. I will introduce you to a few. To round out and develop your Christian experience, I will help you realize that we have believers that have the wrong attitude. Amen. And you know what happens? Instead of blaming falling man, and I mean falling in the sense of people that are failing God by maintaining these attitudes, not just fallen man, but men that are failing daily. You know what they do? They turn around and blame God for it. You don't, you don't do that. That isn't God that treated you bad. I've been hurt in church before. You, pastor, yes, I've been hurt in church before. Before I ever got in ministry, I was wounded so bad in church, I didn't want to ever go to church again. I've been there. I've got the scars, amen, to prove it. But listen to me. I can't blame him for what man did to me because he's never done me anything but good and he's got the nail prints in his hands to show me that that is the case, amen. It rather tells us more about the imperfections of those who serve him rather than about any perceived imperfection in him. Our God is perfect. It's just that he has to use some pretty sorry people sometimes to get his work done, to try to show his goodness to the earth. And that includes me. So I'm going to tell you up front, if you ever see me mess up, please don't blame him for what I chose to do because he had nothing to do with it. It was my poor decision and my poor choice. 
Amen. And my humanity that got in the way. A fourth baseless argument that portrays God as unkind and as a hate monger is to say that God had something had to do something to some of us that was horrific and terrible in order to make us serve him. You ever hear that? You don't get right with God. God's going to take your baby. I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Listen to me. First, as I just explained, that's incorrect because God doesn't force us to serve him, period. He gave us the right to choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Amen. I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. You make up your mind which one you're going to to serve. Amen. And second, God doesn't do bad things to make us change either. We may make bad choices for ourselves that end in tragedy. How many of you have ever made a bad choice that turned around and caused you a problem? I have. And the consequences we face might be harsh enough to wake us up and compel us to confront our own self-centeredness and poor decision-making. Amen. Or we might even encounter tragedy that we didn't choose for ourselves because as I said earlier, we lived in a fall, we live in a fallen and broken world that is in the shape it's in because man in his beginning chose evil rather than good and his kids are still paying for it. You say, that's unfair for God to make kids pay for it. He's not making kids pay for it. He's not. You choose to quit your job and live in poverty, your kids get hungry just like you do. Don't blame God for your decisions. Oh, come on, help me out now. The Bible clearly says that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so let's get this behind us and never accept the day when somebody will stand in front of you and tell you God is not kind. You look right back at them and you say, I don't know which God you're talking about, but the one I'm talking about has been kind to me every day of my life. Can somebody in the building say amen? We live in a time, why preach on kindness? It's because we live in a time when people can be anything but kind. As I mentioned a while ago, look at what happened last weekend in Orlando. Now look at your neighbor and say, tighten up your seatbelt, it's getting ready to come. Okay, I am certainly not a fan of Hillary or her shady dealings. You heard me right. Anybody that was broke eight years ago now has 60 million because of her Wall Street contracts and speaking engagements and all of that other stuff where she's lobbying our nation and making business deals for institutions that keep the rest of us poor. I'm sorry. You can buy, drink the Kool-Aid and buy the political line, but I'm not going to. Amen. And just for the record, I feel the same way about Mr. Trump. The problem I have with him is he could sure use to be a little kinder in what he has to say. Now I've offended everybody. Or do you want me to talk about Bernie next? I'll be happy to accommodate you. Amen. This is the prophetic part kicking in right now. Well, I've got to say, well, it's it working its way up through my feet into my ankles and into my knees right now. Just... Amen, amen. 
I think Hillary is wrong in being so politically correct that she can't even name a problem for fear of offending somebody. You say, what are you talking about? If I have a headache and it's caused by a cancerous brain tumor and one of the symptoms of a brain tumor, I happen to know because we've had people in the church that have had brain tumors. One of the symptoms is to have a headache. Please do not tell me that I have a headache because I might just go down and take a couple of Tylenol and lay down and die. Instead, I would rather you tell me what I'm dealing with and help me conceptualize the problem so I will know what I then need to do. It's unlikely that I will be willing to have brain surgery if you as a professional tell me all I've got is a headache. Why would I when Walgreens and CVS sell Tylenol? But on the other hand, if it's a symptom for a cancer, don't say it's a headache. Tell me what I'm facing. I need a better amen. Don't spare my feelings. And I would say to Hillary and our current crop of leaders, love me enough to tell me the truth. But I would say to Donald, while you're telling me the truth, is it asking too much to ask you to please try to be kind? This isn't a conservative issue. It's not a liberal issue. It's not a democratic issue. It's not a Republican one either. It's a matter of truth. Remember, I don't know what you were told, but I was told a half lie, a half truth is a whole lie. When did we forget that? But when we speak the truth, let's just be sure we do it the way Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 15 and speak the truth in love. These are cruel times. Have I offended everybody yet? Wave your hand so I know you're not offended yet so I can continue to work on this. Amen. We have hard choices this year and none of them any good. I don't like everything that I see happening in this broken world. And you know one reason it's the way it is? It's because we Christians have been quite too long. I'm talking to you right now. You need to speak up and make your voice heard and let the world know what you stand for. Amen. But do it in love. I look at what happened last weekend in Orlando. It breaks my heart. Do I believe the Bible permits that kind of a lifestyle? No, I don't. But on the other hand, I love everybody that's out there in it. Jesus loved them. Why wouldn't I love them? I hear pastors make unkind statements about people that, are, that are, are, are not living the biblical lifestyle. We don't have a right to talk down and speak hate talk to everybody. We don't have a right to do that. We got to stand for the word of God. But I remember a song. It makes me love everybody. Where did that go? We need some old time religion. Listen to the scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But this know that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Sound like anybody you know? Right there, I just called somebody's name. It's in this building. How about this? Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Hang on, you'll get to your name in just a moment. You know what? I probably have already named me two or three times. 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people, Paul said, turn away. Don't let that attitude get in the heart of a believer. That's what Paul has said. That's what he means by this. Don't let this become your attitude. And I should point out that the words where it says in the last days perilous times will come doesn't just mean dangerous. It also means difficult. We live in difficult and dangerous times. I'm going to close, but I want to ask you a few questions. Why is there so much unkindness in the world? And I'll finish this next time. I, for one, believe the result, the, the unkindness in the world is a result of several things. Foremost is the dehumanization of mankind by the false and unsupported teaching of evolution and the rejection of the fact that man is created by and made in the image of a holy God and he is therefore of enormous and inestimable value. I believe this is one of the major reasons for the unkindness that exists in our world. We have been taught that we were not created by God. We evolved. We're nothing but but blobs of protoplasm walking around with skin on. We're just a higher form of evolution of a primate. We're just, we're just better developed and a little smarter. But you know what happens when you take man's right of, of, of being made in the image of God away from him, his dignity? You strip him down to the level of an animal. I'll tell you what goes on, the same thing that goes on in the animal world. The one thing Charles Darwin was right about is that it is tooth and claw out there. And it is survival of the fittest. Amen. And so you know what has happened? By telling us we're just nothing but animals, we have allowed mankind then to buy into the concept that nature calls what is weak, eliminating them in the evolutionary process and thus creating a stronger and more pure species. And people live down to the expectations of science. And this is why Hitler developed the ultimate solution to deal with those that, he, that were Jews because he felt like they were a weaker subspecies of humanity. It is also why Stalin created his purges because he believed if you're religious, you're weak. It's behind the ethnic cleansing of Cambodia and Bosnia. These despots believed as modern atheistic professors like Richard Dawkins up there a while ago that religion is for the weak. I've heard Dawkins say it many times. It's for the weak. Well, guess what Darwinian law says? The weak get eliminated. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? And that's why in this past century alone, over 200 million have been killed by people like Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, and all the others in the Sudan and so forth who all justified their purges using Darwinian logic. And that's what your kids are being taught right now. And so we have a whole generation out there that believes we're just a higher order of evolved mammal. But tooth and claw prevails. And if you're weaker, you're going to be called. So I believe that taking away the dignity of the fact that we are made in the 
image of God and reducing man to something other than a child of God has caused mankind to turn on one another and a scramble to get to the top of the heap. And second, it is the frustration and lack of purpose. The second reason there's so much unkindness is that the frustration and lack of purpose that man has been left with when once his godly identity was stolen from him and his sense of being created for a purpose was stripped away from him. Amen. And now he has to deal with all that frustration because he no longer feels like Jeremiah before I formed you in your mother's belly. I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet. And we've got a whole generation of kids out there that are taking guns to school. You know why they do that? You hurt me in school. I'm going to show you how strong I am. And it's, it's, they don't have a sense of destiny. They don't have a sense of purpose. They're floating. And they float in on the tide in the morning and float out on the afternoon and back in again 12 and a half hours later. And we've got a whole world that's up and down without a sense of direction, aimlessly wandering. Amen. And what the church excels in is telling you, you are not an accident. You hear me? You were made by the mighty God of heaven and earth. God created you. Don't you buy into that lie. Amen. You're not weak because you believe in God. You're one of the strongest people around right now. Stand for God, men. Stand for God, women. Stand for God. Amen. And the third thing, and I've got to close, that I think has caused so much unkindness in the world are all the problems we deal with every day. We're all dealing with problems. When you have people that don't believe they're made special in the image of God, right? They don't feel like they have a destiny and that they have to claw their way to the top. Guess what they're going to do? Duh. They're going to stab people in the back. They're going to be unkind. They're going to lie. They're going to cheat. They're going to steal your credit for what you did, the work you did, and claim it as theirs. Hello, this is an IQ test. I don't care how many PhDs Dawkins has. He ought to be smart enough to put two and two together. You take away people's sense of identity, tell them it's tooth and claw, and only the strong survive. They're going to show you how unkind they can be. And do you know what? It's even in our churches. Our churches are filled with frustrated people. So much frustration, so much anger. God, send our world. Send the church a revival of the character of God. And put in our hearts the kindness of the Holy Spirit.